Um, let's start from this. You know that in the Torah, it seems that there are actually two different holidays. One is, one is called Pesach, and the other is called Chagamatzot. Now, Pesach uh, is somehow a reference to the Korban Pesach. Now, the Korban Pesach is uh, brought and slaughtered and, and, and done on Yudalit, right? Yudalit Nisan. Even though it's eaten at the end of the at the end of the Seder, uh, so that it starts on Yudalit and it ends on Tetvav, and so there's a and and you eat the Korban Pesach with Matzot and Marorim, Matzah and Maror, so that the Korban Pesach and the the holiday called Chagam Matzot are connected by the Matzot. Those we eat the meat of the Korban Pesach with the Matzot that we eat on Pesach. Because the mitzvah of Matzot is on Tetvah, and the mitzvah of bringing the Korban Pesach is on Yudalit. I mean, it's important to remember. So somehow, uh, these uh, two things are not the same. But they are the, they they are together they are, they're connected up together somehow right so that's Pesach and Matzot the two the two holidays now in the Torah about the Korban Pesach you see the first pasuk this is how you should eat the Korban Pesach now you eat the Korban Pesach on the fifteenth day of Nisan. You slaughter the Korban Pesach, prepare it to be eaten on the 14th day of, uh, of Nisan. Now, since there is no uh, Korban Pesach today, the 14th has basically become a, a non-holiday. Even though the prohibition against chametz begins on the 14th, against eating chametz. I mean, I don't know if this is... If I'm clarifying anything or making it more complicated, in, in, in other words, the, on Pesach there's an obligation to eat what we call Pesach. There's an obligation to eat matzah, and there's a prohibition against eat, having chametz. The prohibition against eat, having chametz goes on for seven days, right? The obligation to eat matzah is only on one day. On the 15th. Now it's true that if you want to eat bread during the rest of Pesach, you have to eat matzah. In, in, but you don't have to eat matzah, right? You could decide that you're not going to eat matzah on, on, on Pesach, except for the first night. The first night is an obligation to eat matzah. So, again, Korban Pesach is sacrificed on the 14th day of uh, of Nisan. And that day is a special day. It's called Pesach, Chag HaPesach, the holiday connected to Pesach. And when they sacrificed it, people said Hallel. It was a very joyous occasion, a very joyous occasion. The 15th day, right, is the day when there's an obligation to eat Matzah. We eat the Torah of Pesach on the 15th day with Matzah and Maror. And starting from the 15th day for seven days, there's a prohibition against eating chametz. On the other six days of Pesach, you don't have to eat matzah. You don't have to eat matzah. Even though there's an opinion amongst Acheronim attributed to the Vilna Gon, that if you do eat matzah on the six days of Pesach, you're doing a mitzvah. You get a kind of a mitzvah credit. For eating matzah, you don't have to, but if you do, uh, it's as though you did a mitzvah. Eating matzah on Pesach, according to the Vilna Gaon, is an optional mitzvah. Optional in the sense that if you don't do it, you didn't do anything wrong. Mitzvah in the sense that if you do do it, you get somehow mitzvah credit for eating matzah. So that's an introduction. Now this pasuk that we're about to read is about the Korban Pesach. It's Perak Yud Bet in Shemot. And the, and the the pasuk says This is how you should eat the korban pesach. Now we're talking about the pesach of Mitzrayim. 
the Pesach of Mitzrayim. Now, in Mitzrayim, there was a Tzivui. There was a Tzivui that on the tenth day of Nisan, right, that means four days before, four days before uh, uh, the sacrifice of the animal, you took the animal and put it aside. Yo, I remember all those, you tied it up to your bed in your house and you watched it. You made sure that nothing happened to the animal which would render it unfit for being a korban. So there was a special mitzvah to do that on the 10th of Nisan. And that's what we call, we call that a Pesach Mitzrayim. The Pesach, the first Pesach which the Jews kept in Mitzrayim. Which is different than the Pesach, we will see, it's different than the Pesach that we are commanded to keep throughout the generations. But we'll see that in a minute. So this Pesach refers to Pesach Mitzrayim. Right? Pesach Mitzrayim. And it says, it says, This is how you should eat the animal after you shecht it and, 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 uh, and uh, treat it and cook it and do whatever you're supposed to do. But Nechem Chagurim. In other words, you have to eat it ready to run out of Mitzrayim. Your, your, your cloak, your, your clothes is tied up, are tied up, you're wearing a belt. Na'alechem ve'ra'alechem. It's all like remarkable. Nobody wore shoes and nobody wore, you know, you only tied your belt around your coat if you were going somewhere. And so you have to wear your shoes. Ba'kelchem ve'yedchem. You have this walking stick where you're ready to go. Vachaltim otobachipazon. Vachaltim otobachipazon. Chipazon. The word chipazon means quickly. Quickly. Now, it's, it's not clear whether it's positive quickly or negative quickly. Right? Both are possible. Sometimes you do things quickly because you do them so well. And sometimes you do things quickly because you're afraid of something. There's something else that's annoying you. So it says, Makalchem biyedchem vachaltim otobachipazon. Pesachul Hashem. That's what the Pasuk says. Now Rashi says, Matnechem Chagurim, Mizumanim Laderech. Right, you know, you're ready to go. Ready to go. And so when you're eating the Korban Pesach, here's HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Said, take the animal, keep it for four days, sacrifice it, then eat it, and then we're eating it. We're eating it in Mitzrayim, but we're nervous because we've got to get out of there. You've got to go. Bechipazon, Rashi says, Vishon behala umihiru. Behala is fright and and quick. He's like he's like they're frightened uh, of something. Kimo and they cause another pasuk, another two pasukim. Pesach ulashem. The next Rashi, Hakorban karui Pesach al shem hadiluk b'psicha. Right, the korban. We're talking about the korban Pesach. The korban Pesach. The Korban Pesach Mitzrayim is called Pesach. Why is it called Pesach? Because there was a skipping. To s- Pesach has to do with skipping over. And what was skipped over? That God would skip over the... Uh, the houses of the Jews and uh, uh, the plague of the firstborn would affect only the Egyptian, only the Egyptian uh, uh, children, the the Bechorot, the firstborn of the Egyptians. So here, of course, you you would ask a question, uh, and as far as we know, the Jews in Mitzrayim did not live with the Mitzrim; they lived in their own area which was in Eretz Goshen. And therefore, on the practical level, if we were making a movie, it was hard, hard to understand what was being skipped over exactly. But Rashi says, and we all have accepted this Rashi as being, in fact, the way it is, that there was a skipping over of the houses of the Jews and, and, if, and only the houses of the Egyptians were affected, and that's why it's called Pesach. That's why this korban, 
is called Pesach, because they took the blood of the Korban, and they put it on the Mizuzot and the Mashkov, right, the lintel and the, uh, whatever that is, the, the Mizuzot. What are Mizuzot? What? Doorposts. Oh, doorposts, right. And, 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 and therefore the angel of death knew that this was a Jewish house and skipped over that house. So this idea of skipping, of skipping over the house is what Pesach is about. Now what Rashi doesn't explain here, what Rashi doesn't explain here is Why did they have to do all of this quickly? After all, Who's winning and who's losing in this deal here? At this moment, Am Yisrael is winning. So you mean if they took a little bit more time to eat the Korban Pesach, or if they left Mitzrayim, not as robbers escaping the scene, running away, but if they left Mitzrayim, if they left Mitzrayim with their heads up, walking slowly, then wouldn't that be more reasonable than running away. What were they running away from exactly? Huh? So this is not only an idea that I have, but it's stated explicitly by the prophet Yeshayahu. Yeshayahu in describing the return, right? Yeshayahu was talking about the return of the ten tribes to Eretz Yisrael. If you look at the third source, the Yeshayahu Perak Dun Bet Pasikut Bet, it says this Kilo Bechipazon Tates U Uvid Minusa Lote Lechu Kiolech Lifneam Hamashem Umas Vichem Eloke Yisrael. There it is, exactly what should be the translation. Lo Bechipazon Tates U, you're not going to run out. Like like uh, like criminals in the night, you're not going to be afraid of. You won't be going quickly. Uve menusa menusa means if if you're being chased away, you won't be chased away. ki because God precedes you. So if God precedes you, you could be calm and cool. And so Yeshayahu, he's got it right. God will take you in. So, so Yeshayahu, I think, has it right. Why is it that in Pesach Mitzrayim, why is it Pesach Mitzrayim there had to be an escape bechipazon? Whereas Yeshayahu says quite clearly that when you return from the exile, you will not go bechipazon. You go quietly, happily, with your head held high. Because that's the way, that's the way it should end. That's the way it should end. One more pasuk on this topic. Right? Pasuk in Zvarim, Perik Tetzayim, Pasuk Gimel. Lo tochal alav chameitz, shivat yamin tochal alav matzot lechemoni. This is a general sivui for the future generations. But you should not eat chameitz, with the Korban Pesach. When, when do you eat the Korban Pesach? Huh? You eat it at night, right? On the 15th. The 15th is already a, a, a prohibition against eating chametz. In fact, when does the prohibition against eating chametz start Min HaTorah? The middle of the day of the 14th. Right? The middle of the day. We uh, have difficulty doing things at any particular time. So we add a couple of hours, right? You know that that Erev uh, Pesach, uh, Erev Pesach is an announcement. You can eat matzah until nine thirty in the morning, right, or something like that. Nine thirty, ten thirty. I'm not sure which way it is now. Uh, now it's ten thirty, probably. You can eat chametz until ten thirty. How they get to ten thirty when the, when it should be the middle of the day? Well, it's hard to be precise. So in order to avoid making a mistake, you add a little. Add a little prohibition. Right? Put a little prohibition in your life. That's the Jewish way. So, so we added a little prohibition. By that time we're already sick of thinking about chametz and happy to think about matzah. And uh, I'll be seven days later, the opposite is true. Right? We're happy to 
go to the bakery and get some bread. But, but the pasuk says, he says, the tochalav matzot lechem only ki bechipazon yatzata meeretz mitzrayim. In other words, why matzah? Why do we eat matzah on Pesach? Because matzah is lechem only. Why is matzah lechem only? Because poor people don't have time. They don't have time to bake bread. So they take the, the whatever's in the oven out quickly. And what do you get? You get a matzah. And you know that, that uh, uh, there are Jews today, there are Jews today who eat matzahs, they're, they're soft matzahs. You know, did you ever see a, a soft matzah? Yemenites. The Yemenites eat soft matzah, even though we're very, we're very uh, uh, neurotic about matzah and chametz. So we figured out that if you make the matzah very thin and you cook it, bake it very quickly, that those two things will enable, will, will guarantee that there'll be no leftover flour, uncooked flour in the matzah. Because the uncooked flour in the matzah could turn into chametz. I mean, I don't know how exactly. I mean, like, let's say you put uncooked matzah in your mouth and there's flour that's unbaked in it and you chew slowly, I guess very slowly. So the saliva could mix in with the flour and then some kind of chemical reaction could take place and produce chametz. Now, in order to avoid that, or to avoid that, you have to make sure there's no flour left unbaked in the matzah. Well, how do we do that? How do we do that? We make the matzahs extremely thin today. I remember when I was a kid, if you bought hand shmura matzah, you know hand shmura matzah, the round matzahs? If you bought hand shmura matzah, they were pretty thick. But in my own lifetime, the quality of matzah baking has improved tremendously. And today, the matzahs are really very thin. So if you break up those little uh, pods in the matzah, you won't find white flour. And uh, that's why for many years in Yerushalayim, in Yerushalayim everybody said the Rabbanim in Yerushalayim were more in favor of machine matzahs because machine matzahs produced, the machine produced a consistent matzah. And that uh, they, and, and it was assumed that they didn't have any flour, any unbaked flour in them. But today, this is not an advertisement. I'm just saying that today, the quality of the hand shmura matzahs from this point of view is tremendous, is much different than it was. And there's a very, and, uh, and uh, that's why a lot of people uh, who once ate machine shmura matzah today might eat hand shmura matzah. Again, this is not an advertisement. So the price is different. What? The price is different though. Yeah, but everybody wants to pay more money for a mitzvah, right? <laughs> well, you want to buy you want to buy the cheapest asherah? You don't want to. You want to buy the most expensive. No, no, it's only if it's hidur mitzvah. But if it's the essential mitzvah, so you pay for it. It's not a hidur mitzvah to buy the best. The best? Why is that a hidur mitzvah? This is a real problem. Chometz, make chometz in your matzah. That would be uh, like a terrible thing. I remember I was one uh, one year. One year I was in a um, in a hotel, and being of uh, Litvak origin, without thinking, I started breaking my matzah into my soup. <laughs> now, of course, the hotel was advertised as a non-gebroch hotel. So I'm sitting there breaking my matzah into my soup, and the waiter, who was an Arab, <laughs> came to me and said, well, if you have to do that, I'll get you a paper soup bowl. So I said, thank ah. you. <laughs> like, like, you know, like everything becomes a fundamental uh, uh, regulation. So I was transgressive, but look, got to transgress a little bit. So here it is.
I always tell people, you know, in my neighborhood, I have to, I close the shutters on Pesach, and then I go and make matzah bread. <laughs> <laughs> I can get Pesach without matzah bread. But anyway, they can smell what? It. They can smell it. <laughs> yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> I mean, nothing is perfect. No defense is perfect. <laughs> well, I hope uh, what's wrong? You live it. You live in Alice in Wonderland if you don't know what's wrong with matzo bread. Okay. So the end of the pasuk says lechem oni. So lechem oni is bread that is made by poor people, and poor people don't have the time to wait around until real bread comes out. So that out comes this kind of cracker that uh, it's either hard or it's soft, but it's not what you really want. It's not what you really want. It's lechem only. It's poor bread. So not only did the Jews leave Mitzrayim quickly, but the Bechipazon becomes part of the story. It becomes part of the remembrance of Yitziat Mitzrayim. And when I tell the story of Yitziat Mitzrayim, I have to say Bechipazon. I have to say they ran away. They ran away quickly. This is kind of an important thing that they ran away. But we go back to the question based on Yishayahu Anavi, and we don't understand, we don't really understand why the Jews had to run out of Mitzrayim, or what this idea of Chippazon, what this idea of Chippazon quickly, of getting out quickly, might actually, might actually mean. Maybe so I wanted, to what? Something. Maybe they were running to something. Not oh, you wanted to give the shayu? No, no, this is not a class. I just say what I think. Okay. <laughs> but you can, you, you can ask me a question. But I'm afraid you can give me an answer. It's better than my answer. What am I going to do? <laughs> so, Moshe Rabbeinu is not mentioned in Haggadah, right? Moshe Rabbeinu is not mentioned in, in Haggadah. The, the question is, how could it be that Moshe Rabbeinu, how could it be that Moshe Rabbeinu, who certainly engineered Yitzhak Mitzrayim to some extent, and was responsible for getting the Jews out of the... How, how is it that we... There's no mention of Moshe Rabbeinu really in the Haggadah. How can we ignore... How can we ignore the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu, the teaching of Moshe Rabbeinu, the determination of Moshe Rabbeinu? Here Moshe Rabbeinu is presented to us in the Chumash as a person with great social awareness and consciousness and a person who was interested in justice... And we know that that uh, that this interest in truth and or justice was the quality of uh, Avram Avinu, which we would look for again, and we try to pride ourselves in thinking sometimes that it's a, a, a Jewish quality or a quality that we've emphasized in our own history. And here's Moshe Rabbeinu, the teacher of all the Jews, who's not mentioned, who's not mentioned in the uh, in the uh, Haggadah. So I think that that Moshe Rabbeinu is not mentioned in the Haggadah because he didn't participate in Yitziat Mitzrayim. How so? What do you mean to say he didn't participate? Well, Yitziat Mitzrayim is about turning a community of slaves. And you know what slavery is? Slavery is the feeling that you're abandoned, that you've lost free will, that you can't make decisions on your own. And in terms of a religious community, like the community who inherited Avram and Yitzchak and Yaakov, slavery is the feeling that, that God is not there for you. That there, is no, that there is no solution. That you're just waiting for something to happen, but you're not sure. You're not sure if it's going to happen. And that was the situation of Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael was slaves. And Yitziat Mitzrayim is about turning a slave community into a people worthy of receiving the Torah. We know how it's going to end, but we don't know how that change is going to take place. So Yitziat Mitzrayim is apparently, we'll see in a moment, Yitziat Mitzrayim is not about taking the disenfranchised and freeing them letting them run around in the world on their own and do whatever they want. Not at all. After all, the, the, the strictures of slavery 
were replaced by the strictures of the Torah. It's not just that you can't do whatever you want. It's the fact that in Mitzrayim, in Mitzrayim, the people in Mitzrayim did not feel the, the uh, watchfulness of HaKadosh Boch. They did not feel the providential nature of their existence. Something that, that ha- they had to change in order to be worthy of receiving the Torah. Now, Moshe Rabbeinu was never a slave. Right? You remember. Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, was discovered by Paro's daughter and brought up in the, in the Armon HaMelech, in the, in the castle of the king. And when he escaped, when he ran away, it was an act of free will. He wasn't a slave. He did what he did. He killed who he killed. And he had to run away. And he ran away. Running away from, from, from evil is a free will act that Moshe Rabbeinu exhibited, but no one else in Mitzrayim exhibited. And then when Moshe Rabbeinu was in Midian, he, he was approached actively by a Kaddish Bochel, right? The, the Snebel Erba Eish, the burning bush, attracted him. And, and, and Hashem spoke to him. And so Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu in some way was, was maybe he was directing Yitzhak Mitzrayim somehow, but he did not participate in Yitzhak Mitzrayim. He wasn't the person, one of the people who was free. He was free. He wasn't one of the people who learned about relating to, to God and God's directives. He knew that. He was... He was able to, uh, he was certainly able to uh, uh, be what everybody else was supposed to be at the end of the, at the end of days. So somehow, Yitzhak Mitzrayim was supposed to create the nation that would be able to absorb the obligation, Har Sinai, and, and be able to accept the directives that came from heaven in the guise of the Torah. So here we have the next uh, the next uh, um, source is from a book called Tzidkat HaTzadik, written by Rav Tzodok HaKohen of Lublin. Like this is a, a book of, of thoughts. It's like paragraphs. Every paragraph is another thought. And uh, um, there's the first one in the book. The first, the very first thought is the following. Let's take a look at it. Reshit Knisata Adam Lavodat Hashem. He says, how does a person, how does a person get to serve God? Like, like where does it come from? He's Rav you know, he's, he's thinking like, how do you become an Oved Hashem? Where does it start? Where's day one? I'm not talking about educating a person to live in a certain way, right? I mean, we all know that, the, how that works. But, how do you become an Oved Hashem and not simply uh, an, a rote actor? Not simply somebody who does things. But how, how do you get to the point where you feel that you're standing in the presence of God? Right? That's Oved Hashem. God is, God is there. Tzarech liyot b'chipazon, he says. It has to be, and he uses that word, chipazon. There's no doubt that Rav Tzadok knew exactly what he was saying. And he knew exactly that he was talking about Yitziat Mitzrayim, which was Bechipazon. He says, the beginning of the service of God is Bechipazon. And that's what we find in Pesach Mitzrayim. Shayan Echal Bechipazon. We ate the Korban Pesach Bechipazon. So Rav Tzadok separates the eating from the chipazon. And he says that chipazon is the fundamental religious act. And I think that everybody, if you think, you say, when did you have that feeling? When did the sky light up? Like when was it something special? Right? It's always a, a fleeting moment. It's not something that just goes on. Right? Some people remember, you know, Yom Kippur, Mila, Yeshiva, Yerushalayim, right? There's like all these memories. Everybody has a memory. Everybody, everybody who is 
who who sees themselves as able to serve God in this world, they have a memory. But that memory is about a moment. It's about a uh, somebody said an illumination. I don't, you know, illumination like it's a light, like it, you just feel something, and that's chipazon. That's according to Rav That's the chipazon. So that Yitziat Mitzrayim, Yitziat Mitzrayim was uh, the moving of a community from one place to another. But that movement, according to Rav Tzodok, had to include a, a, a religious illumination. It had to be something that you that you felt, some different, something happened, and that's called chipazon, according to what he says. Because at that moment, that moment of illumination, all the things that you thought were important suddenly become less important. All of the desires that a person has in this world, like you desire, you know, you want to have money, you want to have food, you want to have good things, but all of a sudden, it's not that way. It's like what we say about, about Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was, the epitaph of Moshe Rabbeinu is Anav, because he was humble. He was humble. Why was humble chosen to describe Moshe Rabbeinu? Because Moshe Rabbeinu was in a different place. Moshe Rabbeinu was in a different place. He was, he was with God. I mean, if you're with God, so you can't really, uh, you can't really come back to the world and say, gee, I want to get a good seat in shul, or I want to be given an honor at the dinner. Like, it doesn't make any sense. A person who has had, you know, has had this tremendous honor of standing with God. So he's going to ask for... Uh, so that's what Tzadik is saying. Kippazon means an awareness that there's something better, that there's something more than what you actually want. And they did that something better. They saw that something better after when they were eating. While they were eating. They ate b'chipazon because eating what just didn't mean anything anymore. It wasn't like abdut, slavery, where the only thing that you get is food. Just to keep you going so you can work the next, you can work the next day. That's b'chipazon. So that chipazon, that chipazon is what changed. It was the beginning of the change of Am Yisrael according to Rav Tzodok. In other words, at that moment, you suddenly think to yourself, maybe I can really be this kind of person. Maybe I can be a person who doesn't depend on, on physical things, on food. But Bachakach Shuv Yelech Bimitinut Ulaat Kidin Pesach Dorot. And after that, you go slowly. Kidin Pesach, Kidin Pesach Dorot. And that's what the Mishnah says. Right? The Mishnah says that. That what's the difference between Pesach Mitzrayim and Pesach Dorot? Pesach Dorot is the sacrifice that we gave. Every Pesach, every Yudalit, as long as the Beit HaMikdash uh, existed. So the Mishnah says, Pesach Mitzrayim, Bechipazon. Pesach Dorot, no Chipazon. And so Rav Sadiq explains, Rav Sadiq says, in Mitzrayim, it was the beginning of awareness. The beginning of what, what we are, and what we should be, and how we should relate to God. The, the moment of awareness is Chipazon. And afterwards, we think about it. We try to recapture that moment. We try to be there. And I think this is something that, that most religious people can attest to. Some moment, a moment that was special, and then reflection on that moment. Like people say, oh, I wish I was back in, in the yeshiva. I wish I could daven at the kotel. I wish everybody has something, something that they attribute their own kind of position to. So Rav Tzodok says, Rav Tzodok says, Pesach Mitzrayim, the beginning of awareness. Chipazon. Pesach Dorot, 
reflection on that beginning of awareness. Rav Tzodok himself goes on in a second source that I'd like to uh, like to learn with you, and that source is from uh, the Pre Tzadik. Rav Tzodok also wrote um, essays on Parshat Shavua, and those essays are collected in uh, in uh, five volumes that are called Pre Tzadik, and in the in, uh, in the Pre Tzadik of Vayikra. In Advayikra, there's a section on Pesach Sheni. A section on Pesach Sheni, we'll, we'll, we'll explain that as we read the Rav Tzodok. So he, he says this Bizarre Kadosh, Mitama. No, I don't want that first part. I want to go on. Um. Okay, the first word on the line, it's about a two, four, six, eight, ten. The tenth line, the first word on the line is Ha'anashim, mm-hmm. the line that I'm referring to, right? So he's referring to Bamidbar Periktet. In Bamidbar Periktet, there's an interesting story. The Jews some Jews came to Moshe Rabbeinu some Jews came to Moshe Rabbeinu and they said they said they came before Pesach they said and there's no way that we can become Tahor by Pesach so we cannot participate we cannot participate in the bringing of the Korban Pesach ok up to here so they said so, so do something for us Moshe Rabbeinu and this led to the idea of Pesach Sheni. The Moshe Rabbeinu said, one month from now, right, not Tetvav, the 15th of Nisan, but the 15th of Iyar, you'll be able to give the Korban Pesach, but there'll be a make-up Korban Pesach day. That's what, that's what the Torah says. Somehow, this feeling that they had, this feeling they had that they wanted to participate in the Korban Pesach, but they couldn't, this became legislated. And, then, and forever after, people who were tmeim, people who were unable to give the korban because of their own status, would be able to give the korban a month, a month later. That's what Rav Tzodik is referring to. Now, now here he says, Hinei Anashim, right, we're, we're back to Anashim. Shayu tmeim l'nefesh adam, hayu Anashim tzadikim, they were, after all, they were righteous. These Tmei'im. They were, they were righteous people. Kemosha Amru Bagmara, because it says in the Gemara and Sukkah, Osha Hayu Mishael Ve'el Tzafan, either the people who came with this request were Mishael and El Tzafan. Do you remember them? After Nadav Avihu died. Right, remember Nadav Avihu? After the sons of Aaron Akoin, remember Aaron Akoin? <laughs> After they died, because they did uh, something wrong, even though they may have been motivated correctly, but they in fact did something unacceptable. So uh, Moshe Rabbeinu says to the remaining sons of Aaron Akoin, Mishael and El Safad, that they should collect the bodies and, and, and arrange for the burial. So Mishael and, and El Safan, how did they become Tamei? How did they, by following the directive of Moshe Rabbeinu. It wasn't that they were, uh, they, they lacked care, or they weren't acting properly. And so he goes on and he says, Osha, you know, say, Aaron, Osha, you're safe. This is what the Gemara says. 
the Gemara says, the, these Tmeim, these people who came to say we want to give a Korban Pesach, they may have been the ones who carried the, the, uh, the body of Yosef. Right? Yosef asked that when they, they leave Mitzrayim, they should take his body with them and they rebury it in Eretz Yisrael. So with the ones who carried the body, who carried the, uh, the coffin that, Mo- that Yosef was in, became Tamei. So it was a, what, what, what Rav Tzodok doesn't understand is why did these people feel a lack? After all, we know, as, as he says, he, he says it himself, There's a rule in the halacha that oseik b'mitzvah patur in ha-mitzvah. That if you're doing a mitzvah, so you don't have to do another mitzvah that comes up at the same time. You can finish the mitzvah that you're doing. What mitzvah were these people involved with? Well, carrying the dead. It was a mitzvah. It wasn't something that they did inadvertently. So, so they're paturim in a mitzvah, according to, according to the halachic position. So if they're paturim in a mitzvah, why should they come and ask Moshe Rabbeinu to figure out a way that they could give the Korban Pesach? Because they don't have to give the Korban Pesach. That's the question of of uh, of Rav Tzodak. He says, "Uma mitam osik b'mitzvah, uma lachatsam lekarev l'fnei Moshe Rabbeinu b'tzvacharaba lamanigara." The pasuk says they came to Moshe Rabbeinu screaming and wailing. Why should we be left out? Why should we be left out so that that Rav Sodom doesn't understand the tension that was created between Moshe Rabbeinu and those who were Tamei? He doesn't understand that. Uh, and what exactly were they missing? If the halacha says, if the halacha says, oh, so they didn't get Kopesach. Azma. Right, they're doing something else which God Torah wants them to do, so that should be that should be sufficient. But they wanted very much to give the korban pesach. As part of the Jewish people, this bothered them that they were not able to participate in the korban pesach with the rest of Klal Yisrael. He says. Moshe said to them, stand and wait and I will hear what heaven has to say. And Moshe said to them, if you really want it, if you want it very much, then God will affect that desire that you have. I know it. Paralula, Hashem yitbarach b'omad b'avchem al zeh v'yedei atzakava tshuka shelachem tamshichu d'var Hashem elai. I will receive new information from God because of you. K'moshem shichu Yisrael et haTorah kula begodol tshukatam. So, I think that if you put these two statements of Ratzadah together, remember the first statement was that Chippazon is the beginning of religious awareness. And that when Akkadosh Baruch said, run quickly out of Mitzrayim, it was not at all that they were afraid it was that their religious position was tenuous. It was difficult for Am Yisrael after all those years of slavery 
and a lack of, of, of this feeling that they were totally dependent on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and that HaKadosh Baruch Hu would answer them. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, when God said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you go and take them out of Mitzrayim, Moshe Rabbeinu said, they won't believe me. What won't they believe? They won't believe that God has decided to take them out of their misery because misery became who they were. They were the miserable people. And therefore, therefore, it was very difficult for them to transfer their feeling from one of misery to one of joy and elation. And we know, we know that it wasn't until after Kriyat Yam Suf, Kriyat Yam Suf, which the Rambam says, was the miracle of miracles. It was the ultimate, it couldn't happen. No one could explain it away. You remember that after each of the Makot, Paro, Paro said, no, I'm not going to let them out. And even though the Torah says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will harden Paro's heart, but what did Paro think? Well, he didn't think God was hardening his heart. Like, what did he think? He thought, obviously, that each makah represented the ultimate power of the God who was giving these makot. And he said, like Paro said to himself, okay, we had frogs, but that's it. Now I'm not going to let you out. In other words, each makah, Paro couldn't understand why there would be ten makot. Didn't make any sense. If God of Israel was protecting the Jews and wanted to get them out of the tribe, so that the the makah, the plague, whatever plague it was, would do the job. And if he, Paro, was able to withstand the pressure of the plague, so he was able also to think that that was the end. But, and, and so I assume, I assume that Am Yisrael understood this. They saw Paro being unaffected by the plagues as they came one after another because he said, he was able to say, this must be it. This is the end. This is the power that there is. There is no greater power. There is no greater power. So B'nai Yisrael said the same thing. They also were suspicious. They also had arguments with Moshe Rabbein. They said, how come things are worse today than they were before? How come Paro is not only not letting us out of his tribe, but he is actively actively making things more difficult for us. So in such a situation, it was very difficult for B'nai Yisrael to maintain this, this idea of, of connection to, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the desire that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to get them out of Mitzrayim. But when, when Kriyat Yam Suf came, right, the splitting of the sea, then finally B'nai Yisrael understood there were no Egyptians left. They all died. And the power of the splitting of the sea was unique. And therefore, by Aminu Vashem and Moshe Abdo, remember Shirat Hayam. Shirat Hayam, by Aminu Vashem and Moshe Abdo. What do you mean? Up to now, they were willing to follow Moshe Abedu to leave Mitzrayim Bepechipazon. But all they had was that momentary illumination. They were not able to establish themselves as a community of believers. That only happened after, after Kriyat Yavsuf. So Chippazon became the moment of illumination. And so the, after Yitziat Mitzrayim, after Yitziat Mitzrayim, and by Amin Hashem Moshe came these, these Tmeim, right? Mishael and Al-Safan, or the ones who carried the casket of Yosef and Tzadik, and they said, we, we don't want to be left out of Korban Pesach. Because Korban Pesach is not just a mitzvah. It's not just something that you do to remember what happened in the past. But Korban Pesach with Klal Yisrael, with everybody, like doing it together with everybody else, makes a difference to the religious personality. And the memory of Chippazon is what we don't want to miss out on. That's what they said to Moshe Rabbeinu. And their position was so powerful that God enabled them to keep uh, the Korban Pesach, the idea of Korban Pesach, even a month later when all the Tameim would have solved would have solved that problem. So that if Yitziat Mitzrayim is the process that turns a nation of slaves. And you know, people talk about the slave mentality. 
I don't know what the slave mentality is, but I understand that religiously. But it's very hard for slaves to be optimistic about their relationship with God or God's desire, so to speak, that they will be uh, uh, the builders, the builders of a new world. He says, that's very, very difficult. But Rav Tzadok says, in the Tzidkat HaTzadik, in the first paragraph, that Chippazon is the nature, is a word that describes the beginning of this illumination. The moment. The moment when you see that it might be different, there might be something. But that illumination did not come all at once. Not that everything changed and Am Yisrael suddenly became the nation of Avram Avinu or Avram and Yisrael and Yaakov. That didn't happen until after Kriyat Yamsuf. And even after Kriyat Yamsuf, right, they received the Torah, but then there's the Cheta Egel. And even if the Cheta Egel, as we have pointed out, was not exactly idolatry, in the strict sense of the word, it was certainly not a commendable moment in Jewish in in, uh, in Jewish history. So that the moment of illumination, the moment of the chipazon of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, has to be has to be dealt with and treated and and, and watered and grown. And uh, it's not it's not easy in the world, which in a world which is dedicated to, as uh, Rav Tzadik says to the material needs, the things that I want, the things that I, I'm able to uh, uh, kind of think about and desire. It's not easy in that world to be an anav, to be humble, to have the humility of Moshe Rabbeinu standing before, standing before HaKadosh Baruch So it seems to me that the story in the Haggadah, the story that's told in the Haggadah, is a little bit more complicated than we might have thought and that uh, we have to look at the distinction between Moshe Rabbeinu on the one hand, who was a free man, who understood his relationship with God, and who looked upon B'nai Yisrael and said, they're not going to be able to believe me, because they don't live in a world of belief. They live in the world of, of slavery. So HaKadosh Baruch said to him, don't worry. It'll, you'll be able to do it, meaning you'll be able to change them from a people uh, enmeshed in slavery to a people that understand that uh, that life is about a relationship to to a Kaddish Baruch Okay, Chag Kasher V'Sameach. On Pesach, it's very important to remember that if you have a question, ask somebody. Don't be shy. Because you might be right and you might be wrong. But if you ask somebody, you have a better chance of being right. And since we, you know, we don't usually get a lot of advantages from the fact that there's so many rabbis in Yerushalayim. So I would play something and pick up the phone and, you know, ask the question. Don't be shy. All the best.